Good morning, Rich Point Church. How's everybody doing? Good. We're glad that you're here. Listen, I don't ever want us to take this for granted. Uh, Jeff got a chance to go up and, and to share at the, at the beginning of the announcement time uh, about what happened last week. And today we have a lot to celebrate. We have baptism. We have all this stuff going on. But I don't ever want us to take this for granted. See, a few years ago, we started to have this vision of what we could do, partnering with some of our missions agencies, with Trash Mountain Project, with Fight Ministries, to be able to make, a, to make an impact on people's lives. And we know here we, how God's gifted us as a church. We have a lot of contractors. And we started hearing about a lot of people that just needed homes to live in in Honduras and Dominican Republic. So we've just started over the last couple of years saying we want to take up a special offering at Christmas time and Easter time to be able to benefit those who are way less fortunate than most of us. And, and I don't ever want to take for granted the fact that well, we just kind of do this and the money shows up and, and awesome, we celebrate and we move on to the next thing. This is a big deal. Like for us to be able to do this, but also I know a lot of churches at Easter that take up a special offering for missions and their goal is to raise $1,000 or $1,500. But we come in and say, we want to build a house as a church and, and do we have the resource to be able to do that? And yet every time God shows up and we're faithful and saying, we want to support that. And so I don't ever want to be like, oh yeah, good, we did it again, let's move on. This is a big deal. It's a word of appreciation to what you've done, and more importantly, for what God has done through you. Uh, so let's not take that for granted. We want to celebrate that. Also, the baptisms, everything going on, but we're also finishing up the series called The Same Power. And last week, we kind of, uh, we got in the middle of the series. We talked about the power of God to salvation, talked about this eternal power, and that's good, and that's powerful. And if you grew up at church at all, that's kind of the power, I think, that we all recognize. We understand God has a power. God's going to give us a power for eternity and, and all that. But I want to ask the question today. That's good we have the eternal power, but what about experiencing God's power today? You see, I think most of us were in the midst of conflict. In fact, I had a friend of mine in college that put it this way. We are either right now in the midst of conflict, coming out of conflict, or about to enter into conflict. So if right now, if you think, man, everything's good, everything's fine, conflict is probably coming. And it might be coming this week. And, and for some of us, that, that, the conflict that we experience, it's big. It's like one big thing. And we can't, it's like we can't focus on anything else because whatever that conflict is that I'm dealing with, it's occupying every free moment of thought that I have. I can't focus on my family. I can't focus on my career. Because whatever this thing is, maybe it's a big financial pressure. And I'm facing that thing. And it seems like everything I do, this is always in the back of my mind. Like, what am I going to do about that? Maybe it's a relational problem. What am I going to do about that? Well, I want to talk today about un unleashing God's power in our life. And to realize that it has to be God's power. It can't be us trying to manufacture power in and of ourselves because I think we do that. And I think that as followers of Christ, if you're following Christ right now, we can become cynical anytime we hear a message like this because we think, well, I've tried this in the past. What we're talking about today is saying, God, I want to see your power move in my life. And I know that it's powerful that it happens for eternity. But what about right now? Maybe right now you're battling an addiction. And maybe that addiction this week got the better of you. And you think, I have tried in the past to defeat this thing, and I just can't defeat this. It's overwhelming for me. Or maybe right now you, you know that you try to put on the side of everything being well, but you know at home things aren't right. Maybe your marriage is, is suffering and you're wondering, where is the hope in that relationship? Or maybe your finances are, are starting to take a fall and you don't know where the answer is. And we get into this spot in our life where we say, I understand that God has a plan for my life. And I understand that there's a good and, and a wholesome way I should be living my life. But I also understand who I am and I can't do this. Well, today we're going to talk about how we change that I can't to an I can. 
Because I believe that God has a specific plan, that God has something good and wholesome for your life. God has a specific plan for you. And, and our goal has to be to say, God, I want that, whatever that plan is for my life, and whether that's something that I should be doing that I'm not doing, or whether that's something that I, that I should no longer be doing and I continue to struggle with it, God, I want to have the power to do what you want me to do. And so we're going to get into that, talking about how do we experience God's power for us today. Uh, if you have your Bible, it's going to be turned in Romans chapter 8 in just a second. But before we get that, we're going to look at a couple of different verses. But, but Romans chapter 8 is kind of our main text where we're going to be going. And we talked about it at the very beginning of the, the message of the series that we'd mentioned at the very end. But the whole idea is last week we celebrated Easter. And we know everyone gets all dudded up and everyone takes all their pictures with their family together. We celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Well, I got news for you. Jesus is just as alive today as he was last week. Like today is still the resurrection. Today is still Easter for us that are following Christ. We have just as much power today as we had last week. And Romans 8, which we'll finish up with, said the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of us. And if he lives inside of us and he's convicting us of doing those things that we shouldn't be doing or convincing us we should be doing something we're not, and he calls us to do something, then he empowers us to be able to do that. And so we can no longer just sit here and say, well, I can't do that. You see, Romans 1.16 that we talked about last week said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. We said, what is the power? We looked early on what the gospel was. The gospel is the power. We said, this is the power for, for salvation, and that's powerful for eternity. But right now we can experience God's power in our life. Right now we can have victory to defeat those addictions. Right now we can have victory to, to save our marriages and, and to come out of some of those financial difficulties. Realizing for many of us we've had years of making those wrong decisions. And it doesn't mean that, that we don't have some fallout because of that. But it's about saying, God, I want to start to do things right. And it might not solve every one of my financial problems right now. But I can start to experience your power in that area of my life. I've had 20 years of doing my marriage wrong. God, I want to experience your power. It's going to take some time to get things right with my spouse. But unleashing God's power. See, there's this word in Romans 1. It's used throughout Scripture. In fact, it's used 116 times in the New Testament. The word for power that's used so often is the word dunamis. Uh, The word dunamis, it can mean a lot of different powers. It can mean physical strength, brute strength. It can be power that exerts its force. It can be miraculous power. talking about the power of God to salvation. It's a miraculous power. It can also be a moral power and an influential power. So 116 times throughout the New Testament, we see the word power used, referring back to this idea of of dunamis power, that strong power. In fact, it's the very word that we, it's a root word from, from which we get our word dynamite. Dunamis eventually becomes the English word dynamite. And they're not exactly uh, cohesive, not exactly the same thing. Uh, We have to be careful about how we use that because dynamite is used to explode things. It's used to tear things apart, whereas the power of God is often meant to reconcile things, to bring things together. So though it's a root, there are some differences there. But the word dunamis literally is is a root word for dynamite. Saying, God, I want to experience that type of, of power in my life. God, I want to know that. And I think especially if we grew up in church... We grew up saying, well, I've heard some people say some weird things about God's power and, and how that's used and want to have that in my life. And I've tried that in the past and it didn't work. And so I can start to get cynical and I can start to get suspect about what that means and what that looks like. Well, today I want to talk through some verses and then look at Romans chapter 8 and talk about what it means to have God's power right now. It is essential before we begin this discussion to say, if we don't have that for eternity, and I'll mention this one more time, if we don't have God's power for eternity, figuring it out for a day is not going to work. 
But we ha- if we have that power for eternity, then as we start to say, okay, God, now how does that work itself out in my life every day? How when I start to face those struggles, because those struggles are real, and sometimes those struggles are huge. Sometimes they're not huge struggles. Sometimes it's small struggles that happen repeatedly. But God, how do I experience your power? So real quick, before we get to Romans chapter 8, I want to read a couple of verses. Over in Acts chapter 1, what has happened is Jesus has been on the earth. He died. He rose again. And he's about to ascend to be up in heaven with the Father. But before he leaves, some of the final words that he has for his followers, he says this. But you will receive power. Now, he's, he's speaking to his followers. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. And he starts talking about being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But he says, you shall receive power. He's not talking about just what, what God is doing, but that we as his followers can receive the power of God. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We fast forward a little bit in the New Testament, we get to the book of Philippians, and there's this guy named the Apostle Paul, which we talk about quite a bit because he wrote much of the New Testament. And he's a follower of Jesus. He, earlier he had persecuted Jesus, eventually, or his followers, eventually he's a follower of Jesus. And he starts to teach the early church what it means to truly follow him. And the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi, he says this in Philippians 3, verse 10. He says, that I may know him. He wants to know Jesus. That I may know him, but not just know him, but that I may know the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. He says, I want to know what it means to have that type power in my life. I want to know what it means to have that resurrection power in my life. You see, Paul wasn't looking back. They didn't know what dynamite was. Paul wasn't looking at dynamite as a source of power. Paul's looking at the empty tomb. And he says, that right there is a source of all of my power. Like everything I know, everything that has made me who I am, the source of every power that I have in my life is the idea that Jesus is alive today, right now. And that gives me hope for victory in the midst of every one of my trials because through that, he has conquered sin in the grave. Through that, he has conquered death. And because of that, I have hope today for my faith to be worked out. I have hope today for me to face those addictions, those challenges that I face. I have hope for today, for that marriage that I thought was on the rocks, for there to be a chance for this thing to work itself out. I have hope for today in my financial difficulties, for me to start to put some some positive financial uh, constraints in my life, that I can do this thing. And I have hope today that as God calls me to be a difference maker, that I can do that. One more verse before we get into this. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this. He's speaking about people that have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. You see, he says there are, there are certain people who have the appearance of godliness in their life. Uh, they, they put on a good front, they get all dressed up, and they go to church, and, and, and they talk the good talk. But if you had a conversation with them and say, okay, can you tell me exactly what God is doing in your life right now? How are you experiencing the power of God in your life right now? They'd say, well, I don't know exactly what you mean. Or I can't think of a time. Maybe there's something that happened, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. It happened 15, 20 years ago. But what about right now? How are you experiencing the power of God in your life? Paul, again, here is writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And he warns about people who have the appearance of godliness. On the outside, and the facade, it appears like, man, they have it all together. But if you start to look, okay, how is the power of God working in their life? You can't exactly see evidence of that happening. Paul writing Timothy says there are people who have the appearance of godliness, but they deny the power of God in their life. If they deny the power of God in your life, it says this, avoid such people. And yet we can fall prey to that. We can fall prey to this idea that, well, I, I go to church, I try to do the good thing, but 
And I know that God has a specific plan for my life. But I always feel like I'm qualified to match up to that plan. I know that I should be doing this. But I don't feel like I can really do that. Like, I don't feel like I'm strong enough or fast enough or, or whatever it is, smart enough to be able to figure this thing out or spiritual enough to be able to do that. When we do that, we start to limit God's power in our life. With that, let's turn open to Romans chapter 8. Towards the end of, of the book, and if you, have, if you have your Bibles, open up there, and, and you might want to take some notes. I'm going to give five practical steps of advice as we get ready to, to wrap up this series. But I, I love this because in Romans chapter 8, we're going to pick up in verse, verse 31. Paul starts to ask a, a series of questions at the very beginning. Romans 8, verse 31, it says this. What shall we say to these things? And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? I, I think this is kind of a good place for us to start. Uh, if, if we're trying to experience the power of God in our life, we have to realize that God is for us. Uh, a lot of times I, we get this mindset, I think, especially people who grew up in maybe a, a very, very traditional setting where, where God is this, this judge just kind of looking down and, and just kind of mean and vindictive, and he looks down, and, and we don't get this idea that God is, is for us. And so Paul begins this particular section by saying, what shall we say if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will uh, he not also with him graciously give us all things? And they start to ask these questions. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, the first couple questions he's going to answer right away. He begins by asking this question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? God's elect is another word for his believers, those people that are following him. So he says, who can bring any charge against God's elect? Now, if, if we just start to think this through, well, the only, people, the only person that can judge is God himself. Uh, he's the only one that's perfect, that's holy. And so Paul is writing and saying, okay, if there's anyone that can judge, who will bring any charge against God's elect? And then he says, it is God who justifies if there's anyone who could bring a charge against us, because we're all messed up, we all sin, we all make mistakes, there's only one who is a judge. The only one that could bring the, that, those charges against us is God. But then he says, but he does it because it is God who justifies. The word justifies means to declare us righteous. So we have one person who could bring a charge against us, God. And instead of bringing a charge against us, he looks at us who are fallen, who are broken, and because of what Jesus did for us, he declares us righteous I think this is powerful because once we make that decision to follow Christ one of the biggest things that brings defeat is the idea well my past keeps coming back and I'm being haunted by my past and because of my past I think I can't have success today God doesn't bring those charges against us if God doesn't bring those charges against us we have to stop bringing those charges against ourselves the first question he asks in verse 33 says, who should bring any charge against God's elect? God doesn't. God, instead of bringing those charges against us, God justifies us or God declares us righteous. The very next verse says this, who is to condemn? Again, if we're going to bring that question, the only one that could bring any condemnation would be God or, or Jesus. But it says, instead of being the one who condemns, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. He says, if there's anyone who can bring condemnation, if there's anyone who deserves to condemn us, it would be God because he's the only one who is holy and just. But instead of condemning us, he sent Jesus, who not only did he not condemn us, but he became condemnation for us. Jesus had the absolute right to say, you guys, because of what you did, your sin separates, me, separates you from me. But instead of condemning us and looking down, he says, I'm going to die in your place to become condemnation for you. 
to take away the guilt of that sin, to take away the shame of that sin. And it says not only did he, did that, did, did he do that, but more than that, he was raised, and right now he's at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. So here's the deal. Jesus could have brought condemnation. He could have said, because of all our mistakes, we deserve punishment that comes with those mistakes. But instead, he dies to become that condemnation for us. And today, right now, he is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf. What that means is if today, if we've made that decision at some point in our past, we made a decision to accept Christ and to follow him. We say, God, I know that my mistakes have separated me from you, but I know Jesus died to take away those mistakes. And so I call on Jesus as my Savior. Once that happens, once we make that decision to truly accept Christ, then whenever God looks at us, and he looks at us and we still sin, we still have those mistakes, Jesus is there on the right hand of God saying, wait a minute, you see the mistakes that one's making? Forget those things that are blotted out. He's one of mine. Jesus right now, if we're following Christ, Jesus right now is on the right hand of God the Father. The biblical word here is interceding on our behalf. Watching out for us, caring for us, and saying, God, that one right there, that is your child. He's one of mine. Or she's one of mine. I died to take away their sins. And he's there constantly in God's ear saying, this one, he's one of mine. Forget about the past. He's one of mine. She's one of mine. Forget about what they did. He or she is one of mine. So the first two questions are who's going to bring a charge against God's elect and, and who's going to bring condemnation. And, and God and Jesus don't do that. If he doesn't, then, uh, then, then we don't. But then verse 35, he asks a question. It's going to be a little bit longer getting to the answer. But he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he starts to list a series of things as he asks the question, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? He starts to list a series of things. If we could categorize every one of the trials we're facing right now, any one of the, 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 the things we're dealing with in our life, every one of them would fit in one of these categories for sure, maybe multiple categories. But he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Are any of these things going to separate us from the love of Christ? And he hits a pause in the question. He continues on a little bit. We'll get to the answer to that question in a second. But he hits a pause in the middle of the question. And he says in verse 36, As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then to begin the answer, he says this, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He'd ask, are any of these things going to be able to separate us from the love of God? And he says, no. The answer to that question is no. Because we are more than conquerors. Stick with me a second, because that word more than conquerors, literally, if you look at that in the Greek language, that word more than conquerors means that we are super conquerors. Like literally that Greek word means that we are super conquerors. So I want you to do this. I want you this week, because every one of us is going to face a major trial this week. It might not be huge in the grand scheme of the world, but for us in our world, this is a big deal, and we have to figure out how to process this. And every one of us is going to face something this week that's going to be our biggest trial. In the midst of that biggest trial, I want you to say in, in your mind, or better yet, say this out loud. When you're facing that struggle, I want you to say, I know I'm struggling right now, but I am a super conqueror. In fact, I want to say as a group right now, I want to say this out loud. I am a super conqueror. Ready? I am a super conqueror. Now say it like you actually are a super conqueror. I am a super conqueror. Now here's what's going to happen. You're going to be driving to work this week. And you're going to be carpooling with all of your friends. And the trial is going to start to hit. 
And you're going to be driving, like, beep-bopping to the radio, hitting the, hitting the steering wheel. And then all of a sudden, that, that anxiety starts to build up, and you're going to start to give in. And then you're just going to blurt out, I am a super conqueror. And all the people are going to be ready to wrap you up in a jacket and take you to a funny place. Like, 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 what are you talking about? But that's the joy of the Christian life, is that even when I start to feel like, man, I can't do this. I said, wait a minute. God, I'm looking at these things from my perspective again. I'm looking at these things from the way that I see myself, and I've not begun to look at the way you see me. And God, when you look at me, not because of who I am, but because of what Jesus did for me, God, you see me as a super conqueror. And God, if that is how you see me, then I need to start to see myself that way. If we are super conquerors, then the question is, why do we still live defeated lives? He continues on answering the question, can any of these things separate us from the love of God? He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. So Paul here is like listing all these different things. He's about to say that none of them can separate us from God, from the love of God. He starts to list all these things, but then at the very end he says, just in case I miss anything, nor anything else in all creation, there's nothing that is here that has been created that can separate us. So he says, For I am sure neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing. I'm a super conqueror today, and I'm a super conqueror because there's nothing that's ever been created that can separate me from the love of God in my life. And if there's nothing that can separate me from that, then I can start to have joy. I can start to have freedom. I can start to experience having success in these areas of my life. So how do we begin to do that? How do we, how do we begin to put all of this, this together? Okay, I get it. It's an inspirational passage. But how practically do I start to give, give feet to that? I want to be a super conqueror. I want to have God's power in my life. But how do I do that? You see, I'm convinced that uh, because I get a chance to talk to a lot of people, especially a lot of guys that are, that are battling, maybe they're battling some sort of addiction, and, and they say, I know I, that I don't want to continue to do this, but I continue to do it anyway. I, I don't like this about myself, but I can't beat this. And they get to a point where they try repeatedly so often that they become cynical, and, and their, their response is, I can't do this. I want you to get this. This is a big deal. When our answer is, I can't, we're not limiting our power. We're limiting God's. See, if I agree with God, that God, I believe that you are calling me to do this. And God, I know I'm supposed to do this. And in the back of my mind, I say, God, I also understand that you are absolutely sovereign. That means that you're in control. Then if I know this is the path God has for my life, and I'm not doing that, and I say there's no way I can do it, I'm not limiting my power. I'm limiting God's power. See, all of us agree that we can't do it alone. You look at the strongest person, person that seems to have it together the most in their Christian life, and ask them, do you have the power to do what they're doing? Their response is, no, there's no way. When you say, I can't, meaning in your power, everyone agrees with that. That's like a give, and we understand that. But when we, when we say, I can't, I'm giving up, I'm walking away. We're not limiting our power. We're limiting God's. So how do I do this? Real quick, five things. We don't have a lot of time to deal with all of these. Um, maybe we can talk about that at a later time. But five practical steps 
for experiencing God's power in my life. Number one, this is, this is basic, but this kind of sets tone for everything else we're going to talk about. Uh, turn our life completely over to Jesus. If you've been sitting here and, and if you've been, maybe you've been coming to Rich Point Church for months or, or even years, and you're saying, I'm on the fence about this whole Jesus thing. Like, I like what they do as a church. I'm all about social justice things, and, and that's good. We, we appreciate all that stuff, but here's the deal. Everything we do ultimately points people to Jesus. And if we've not completely surrendered our lives to him, if we've not called upon him as our Savior, then we're missing the boat on everything that we do. And if we're trying to have God's power in our life, we cannot experience God's power without God's Spirit. And the Bible says at the moment we make a decision to accept Christ, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us, and he starts to give us the power to have success in these little areas of our life. He gives us eternal power, but more than that, the Spirit of God living inside of us gives us the power to deal with all the trials of the day. And we can't have God's power without God's Spirit. Number one, turn your life completely over to Jesus. Number two, defeat the power of sin in our lives. None of us is perfect. We're never going to totally defeat sin in our life. But we need to, we need to defeat the power of sin in our life. Over in, in, um, over in Romans chapter 6, it says this, For sin will no longer have dominion over you. The word dominion means it will no longer have mastery over, the, over you. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one or hate that. You can't serve both of those masters. And yet we try to do that. We try to say, okay, uh, on Sunday morning, I want the power of God in my life. But on Friday night, I want the power of sin in my life. And I want to continue to live on the fence, living both those things out. I can't have freedom in Christ if I'm struggling with sin. And I'm not going to continue to struggle with the same sin if I've truly experienced the freedom and power of Christ in my life. What happens, the one thing holding most of us back is that sin is holding us in bondage. And we don't really want to completely let go. See, any addiction is anything that we need to kind of make it through life. We tend to think of the big addiction, say, well, I don't ever want to be addicted to drugs or any of those things, but an addiction can be anything that we need to sustain us through life. Hold on to those things, and we say, God, I can't have your power because this thing, whatever it is, has dominion over my life. I can't have God's power and, and sin's power controlling my life. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. Defeat often comes as, a, as a, defeat comes as failure to, to defeat a sin problem. And sin can be a sin of omission. That's what we tend to think about. And we talk about a sin problem in our life, we tend to think about, what are the things that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing? And I know those things, and I want to not block those things out of my life. And sometimes our response is to say, I can't do that. And God says, yes, you can. But just as much, we don't like to talk about the sins of omission. The times that God calls us to do something, our response is, God, I, I can't. God, I know you're calling me. I agree with you. There's a specific plan you have for my life, but I can't do that. That's just as much a sin. It's not big and hairy, and people don't make a big deal about it. In fact, probably most people wouldn't even know about it. But for some of you, you know right now God has called you to do something, and you've been fighting God about it. You've been saying there's no way. There has to be someone else who's more capable. Well, there's not. If God's calling you to do it, it's for a reason. Number three, stop accusing yourself. We already talked about uh, who's the one that's condemning you, who's the one accusing you. If God isn't the one accusing you, if God's not condemning you, well, you need to stop condemning yourself. I've seen so many people who are battling those, those trials, those challenges, and it seems like they get to a spot of victory and they start to have success and they start to feel really good and then they have a bad day. And in that bad day, in that bad moment, 
all of the mistakes of their past start to weigh on them, and they start to live with a doubt in the back of their mind saying, there's no way. Do you know how much you screwed up in the past? There's no way you can have success in this area because look at your history. God is not accusing you. You have to stop accusing yourself. If you've been around for any length of time, you know one of the core values of Ridgepoint Church is we're never going to define people by their lowest moment. Everyone's had some bad moments. We're not going to define you by those low moments. Stop defining yourself by them. Number four, remove fear from your life. This is especially powerful when it comes to sins of omission, sins that we know we should be doing and we're not doing. Uh, There's a book out, John Acuff writes, we're supposed to punch fear in the face. Like that's what we're supposed to do because we all face fear. And there's sometimes we sit on the precipice of saying, God, I know you're calling me to do this, but this scares me to death. Listen, as a person, I want to live on that edge sometimes. And, and, And it's scary and sometimes we're not comfortable, but you've also never felt so alive. As when you're saying, God, I'm about to take a step that I don't know the outcome but I completely trust you and I know you've led me to do this, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Over in 2 Timothy 1, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Listen to that. Sometimes we gloss over that. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and, and of self-control. God's not given us a spirit of fear. What that says tells me two things. First of all, that fear is a spirit and that it's not a spirit of God. And so my question is, if fear isn't a spirit of God, then what is it a spirit of? And we start to have fear, and we start to have doubt, and we start to say, God, I can't do this because you're calling me to do something that really brings fear into my life, and, and I'm just going to back away, and I'm going to take a step back. Well, whose spirit are we listening to at that moment? It's not a spirit of God, if not the spirit of the enemy. I'd much rather say, God, I, 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 this scares me. I'm going to be honest, this scares me. But if I know for sure this is what you're calling me to do, then I want to take that step. I want to punch fear in its face. And I want to listen to your spirit, not the spirit of your enemy. And the final one, and this is so important. If we're going to experience the power of God in our life, listen, we are all weak. We are all frail. We have God, and God is the source of our power. But we'd be naive if we think we can do it ourselves. Involve yourself in the community of faith. Obviously, here as a church, we get a chance to do that. Individually, hopefully we build up those relationships, those people. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Hopefully we have that sense of of communion in our life that when we start to make mistakes, there's someone right there who is willing to come along as a friend alongside of us to encourage us to say, wait a minute, what you're doing right now, it's not acceptable. Right now, you're listening to the spirit of the enemy and not listening to the spirit of God. Right now, you're struggling with that same thing over and over. See, we tend to think of friends as the people who tell us when, we're, when we are making mistakes, oh, don't worry about it, everything's going to be okay. Sometimes a friend is one who comes alongside and says, hey, if you continue on the path you're going, everything's not going to be okay. Like, that's true friendship. And so we have that in a community of faith. I, I love the fact, as we've gone through some different trials over the last couple of weeks, to have those people that I can call and count on and say, man, like I'm struggling right now. I need some prayer. I need to be able to talk to someone. Even gathering together as, uh, every week as a church, we would have that encouragement. Find that community of faith. Find that family group. Find those people you can connect with that are going to challenge you and need to be challenged. Listen, at the beginning of the service, we talked about baptism. 
Uh, right now, we're about to wrap up the message, but if you're looking at baptizing, and we have a family getting baptized, but if you want to join them this morning, now would be a great time. Go ahead and get up. Chris is back at the back. Uh, we're going to get ready for baptism. So if you're getting baptized, go ahead and stand up now and go on back to the back. Um, and we're going to wrap up the service. Over in Romans chapter 8, this is where we began this, this series, and we're going to wrap up the series. <clears throat> Last week, we celebrated the, the power that comes in the resurrection. And as we experience that power, we realize that resurrection gives us hope for, for the future, but it also gives us a present-day hope. That when I start to face those trials that I face in life, that I say, God, I don't know the answer to this next step I'm going to take, but I know you've called me to do this, so I'm going to be obedient in taking that step. And I'm going to trust in your power to get me through this. See, this is absolutely liberating. And it's scary to get to this point. But I've seen this over and over in, in hearing people share their stories. They're taking these huge steps for God. They say, JJ, it's, it's, it's difficult, but it's so liberating to say, I'm taking this step because I know God's called me to do it. And now I don't have to worry about it any longer. Because I, you know, whenever I start to struggle and I start to stress about that, I say, God, you're the one that called me to do this. You've you got to take care of it now. Like, that's not my responsibility. I'm being obedient to you. God, you take care of it. And it's liberating to us. We start to live in God's power and say, God, I believe you have a design plan for my life. I just want to be obedient to that. And once we start to do that, once we start to take those steps, whether it's dealing with those addictions, whether it's dealing with trying to save my marriage, whether it's dealing with financial pressure that we're under, or whether it's dealing with, man, God is calling you to do something huge right now. And that process for you is very intimidating. We say, God, I got to stop leaning on my power. And I got to le- start leaning on the power of your resurrection to get me through this. See, over in Romans chapter 8, where we began this series. Verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised, Jesus, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of us. And as he dwells inside of us, as we've called upon him, called upon his son to be our savior, as he dwells inside of us, he starts to call us to this, this big calling. There's pieces we put in place. There's practical pieces, practical steps we can take to get there. But ultimately, if we forget everything else, we remember one thing. God, I believe your spirit is dwelling inside of me. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That was power. That was true dunamis power. That same power is now living inside of me. And so, God, when you call me to do something, i got to stop responding by saying, I can't. Because if the answer is, I can't, then I'm not limiting my power, I'm limiting God's power. But when I, when, when I respond and say, God, I don't even know how I'm going to do this, but I believe that you're faithful, that you're going to give me the power to be able to do that, and God, I'm going to surrender to your power in my life, I'm going to surrender to your spirit in my life, now I can start to put those practical pieces in place and say, God, I want to see your power work I want to see your power move because I believe now as you call me to do this, if you call me to do this, that I can do all things through Christ, who now is the one who strengthens me. 
A couple of years ago, I, I kept this in, in a book I was reading, but a couple of years ago, I was in the youth ministry, and, and my notes were pretty haphazard at that point as, as a youth pastor. But I wrote down a message I was, I was speaking on, and I just kind of held on to this. But one of the things is on this thing about building up a legacy, and, and I said our, our legacy is not built in brick and mortar, but in flesh and blood. But one of the points, and, and I love this, one of the points was this, that we should, as followers of Christ, we should take calculated risks to leverage greater opportunities in our life. And I put an asterisk next to this. Safe is not what God called us to. We need to take those calculated risks in our life. We have to look out and say, God, I believe that you're calling me to do something big. Something that only I could do. But God, in order for me to be able to do this, you have to show up in a way that I know that it came from you. And God, at that moment, I surrender completely to your spirit. I trust your power to get me through this. Because no longer am I going to respond and say, I can't do this. But now my response is, I can. Let's pray.